Welcome to a brand new episode of Front End Happy Hour Podcast. We have two special guests joining us to, in this episode to talk with us about front end build tooling. I'd like to welcome Jamie and Maya. Do you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? So I'm Jamie. Uh... Do I get, what, what were the things? Twitter handle was one who of them? you are, who I am, what oh, your and what your favorite happy hour beverages. Oh yeah, and what you do. Uh, so I'm a developer at Lazian. I work on build tools, a lot of open source stuff. Um, you may have heard of like Babel or that's it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I've, I've worked on a lot of you know build tooling. Like, reason for being here, I guess. And my favorite drink is the Sierra Madre from Anina in uh, Hayes Valley. And if you're wondering how that's made, I've looked it up for you. With rye, lemon, an ingredient listed here is smoke. (laughs) How does one capture smoke? Interesting. Pour it in, you know. Uh, Honey. (laughs) Honey and like hellfire bitters. Which, hellfire. Good. It's like smoke and hellfire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The smoke may come from the hellfire. Alright. This actually does sound delicious. I do want to try it's that. It's wonderful. And that place is great, so. Yes. Alright. Maya. Uh, yeah, I'm Maya Teagarden, and I uh, recently joined Atlassian to work with Jamie. Yeah, building cool open source uh, front-end tooling. Great. And what is your favorite happy hour My beverage? favorite happy hour drink, I usually go with beer, but I like to just try a new beer like every time I can. So usually uh, like the more hipster and hoppy, the better. But uh, Nice. Nice. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like your last name. Your first name's cool too, but uh, Teagar. Thank okay. you. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Let's give introduction of the panelists. Augustus, you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. My name's Augustus Yoon. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. I'm Stacey London. I'm a front-end engineer at Atlassian. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front-End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide the keyword is today? Bundle. 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 All right. So if at any point in the episode, we say the word bundle. Starting now, we will all take a drink. Bundle. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right, well, let's get started. What is front-end build tooling and what has changed about it over the years? So build tooling in general, it can go in a lot of different directions. You can go in terms of compiling and bundling and packaging or whatever. Cheers. Damn it. Oh, cheers. Oh, here we go. It took like you didn't three even seconds. Try <laughs> uh, also into like testing and how you just run CI and all the processes there to how you publish and release code and... There's a lot of directions there, and I think back when I was doing product work, I took a lot of it for granted because you just don't really notice it. You're like, I run the scripts, and stuff happens. Magic um, happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it gets, there's tons of bells and whistles and config files, and uh, it's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think back like when I first started, I that just didn't exist. Like for the front end, you were just like, oh, well, just like throw some JavaScript on the page and, and start going to town. And that was that was it. You didn't have build tools to really worry about. Was cat ever your build process? No, I, I oh, definitely yeah. know what it is, but never used it. 
just when you like, concatenate, concatenate all your files yeah. into one file, <laughs> yeah. and that's how you package code. Didn't Require.js kind of do that a bit too? Yeah. It might have done a little bit more. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, like a different module system that made me not want to learn it, so. That's yeah. No, no, no. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's what I remember about that's, that. And you're not missing out. It's, it was, okay, when I first used it, I was like, this is really cool and very powerful, but it wasn't that impressive. Like, it was like, yeah, it started to get really frustrating when you were on a big, large project. It was mm-hmm. really frustrating. I was a huge fan when, like, Browserify came out. That one, to me, was like, holy shit. Yeah. Now we're actually doing concatenating smartly, not just all into one file. Totally. Require felt really hard. It took like reading all the docs over and over and you're like, what am I still supposed to do? I'm not sure. And then yeah, Browserify was like the time like we had spent trying to get Require to work. It was like we spent two days being like, oh, just swap it to Browserify and it was like already working. And yeah. Was, and then it all it's all common JS, which is yeah. so handy. Um, yeah. And then we toss Browserify aside. <laughs> <laughs> and what did we replace it with? <laughs> Parcel. <laughs> Roll up Webpack. All the, oh man, so all, the all the things. Webpack one. Like at a super high level, it was just like we never had anything in the front end to say like, oh, we want to not ship like 200 JavaScript files to the client, or we want to run unit tests on like in an easy way as part of our build, or we want to lint like CSS linting or um, even HTML or JavaScript, like all that stuff. None of that we ever did. It was no. It's it just like write it, ship it. Yeah, <laughs> ship it. I mean, we've even talked about like something like Git and having that, which you know definitely helpful, helpful tool. But I remember just FTP and you just toss it on server. It's good. Yeah, yeah. like just make sure that you don't overwrite your buddy's file and you're you're good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not best practice. <laughs> I mean, whatever works for you, you know? <laughs> no, judge. no judgment. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to our first episode, which was we started off of this Medium article, the state of web development, and where someone was talking about how it was so overwhelming with all the tools. And like, I don't know, I feel like front end tooling is like a very like overwhelming place if you haven't started, definitely for beginners. But I think it's also kind of misunderstood, like in many ways. I think that's fair because I look at it as yeah, it can take a lot to actually get a project started, and you 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 know you set up your whole build tooling, and and it can be daunting because it takes you all that time. But it's so powerful in the end that it probably saves you a lot of headaches and time in the long run. It's just an upfront step, and I remember that article because yeah, we just it, the, I think that was back in like. 2015, 16, there's this article that just like talked about going front end is so craziness. It's just, you know, too hard to deal with all the different build tools. And yeah, to me, I kind of disagree. I actually enjoy the build tools part of it and really thinking what works for my project. Yeah, I think if you've done it long enough, you have like been through those pains and you're like, you super appreciate it. But like, if you have not done it very long, you're like, what is all this nonsense? But like, (laughs) I think you, yeah. If you if you weren't to have those things, you would appreciate them a lot more. What were people's first like testing tool? Am I just you know? that's a great question. Was it like Mocha or Karma, or was it in that like Q unit? Ooh, I, I guess still like, use Jas- Q unit. Jasmine and Jasmine Grunt. And Grunt. Jasmine mm. and Grunt was like the, the first like that was a good pairing. Jasmine was good. Pivotal Labs. So the first build tool that I ever created was a testing tool, uh, but not for JavaScript. It was for SAS, 
Uh, oh. <laughs> so, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It was called, like, Boot Camp or something. And uh, if you look at the readme of it now, it says, do not use. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an experiment to see, like, if I could, you know. And uh, barely worked. But it was the first open source project I did. And so, yeah, that sort of started off this whole build tooling. That's awesome. Ooh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Which leads us to some great tools. So thank you. Uh, why should someone on a front end team need build tooling? I think we started kind of saying that maybe you don't need it or that article definitely was saying like it's going to the extreme. But wh why would you need it? Do you like knowing that your code works? <laughs> <laughs> I can just ship it to production and, mm -hmm. you know, if something works, just check it in production. You know, I'm actually a big fan of testing in production. So <laughs> just look at how many times I've rapidly released things to NPM to like thousands of people. <laughs> That's not the right idea. <laughs> you know, what works, works. Yeah. Who needs a QA team when you got users? But I, I, I think to your point, though, Jamie, it is, it's the fact is, is that you, you can actually catch a lot of things before you're even having to go to QA, before you're even having an open pull request to the rest of your team. Mm -hmm. A lot of these things are being caught before it's passed down to anyone else, which is amazing. Yeah. And like people's first thing that they usually run into is, um, well, if they're using some sort of compiler, they usually run into like parse errors first and they want more than that. So they install lint or like ESLint or whatever. Um, and uh, maybe they get into type systems and then they get into testing and all the different kinds of testing that there are. Um, and then like there's even like tools that you sort of run outside of production that are how you create stuff. Like um, Storybooks is a great example of this in the React community. Um, I think it works with Vue too, so. Yep. Now that uh, Vue is more popular than React, as we all know from GitHub stories. <laughs> <laughs> it has actually sort of, like passed React? It did. Oh, wow. I'm they both passed 100,000 at the same time, and mm -hmm. Vue passed React by like 50 stars or something. Nice. And so React is dead. Everyone, <laughs> everyone needs to switch. Probably that surge was from the license. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Abandon ship. Uh, and related tools, things that you could allow you to sort of preview your components before you start pushing PRs and stuff and get a fast feedback loop. It's all, all these things are related to just making sure that your code does what you think it does ahead of time um, and doesn't have unintended side effects somewhere else. Yeah, a lot of times you want to write your code in like different files and depend on dependencies from like npm and you want to like bundle them up cheers, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> but yeah like how you develop usually the most efficient for uh what gets published too yeah and i think like just the idea of like splitting up your code and making it more readable can be very very helpful and to i think stacy made the point of like yeah you don't want to reference all your files in production this can kind of take a lot of that off you and you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to copy paste into a file or some crazy nonsense like that. I think like even the idea of um, reducing noise or like reducing developer friction and pull requests is part of that build process too. So like you don't have to argue like with prettier or some sort of like style mm -hmm. uh, formatter that like you put into your build process. It, you know, prevents you from getting into silly, like, 
I don't know, pedantic bike sheddy things about, right. you know, like these little things that really aren't the reason you should be doing a pull request. It's more like, let's all agree with style and move on. Um, I think that's a really important part of a build process to like make teams or bigger teams like work really well together. Yeah, I don't want to like say to someone, hey, this is the wrong format. Yeah. Uh, the, the computer and build system can tell them that. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I think uh, a quality of good tooling is that um, you reduce your dependency on other people uh, while increasing the collaborative nature of your work. Because um, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but uh, if you've ever worked in a place that was not collaborative and then a place that was, you would know that it's wildly better. Um, so everything about your tool chain should uh, sort of push you to collaborate more. Um, where you get into those modes that you're sort of, you don't, you don't want to have things where you, you depend on tons of people to get your work done. You don't want, that's what sort of makes you feel in a large organization like you can't get anything done. Uh, it's like, I need to talk to this team. I need to open pull requests in this repo and get reviewed to their, whatever they're doing. And then you end up taking small change, uh, changes in what might have been Something that could take a day at a very, very small company could take even a slightly larger one weeks. And you really, you really feel that. Uh, and it doesn't feel good. I, I think that contributes a lot to people feeling burnt out in these larger companies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, honestly, like the things I love about front end tooling is it makes, lets me focus more on actually coding the actual application. Like, I'm, Brian used to be our champion of prettier. I will now be, or well, Stacy also loved. I, I think a lot of people on our on front and happier love prettier. Yeah. But it, it's just it's it's such a waste of time to be like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, you have a tab width of four and I have a tab <laughs> width of two. You know, we really got to figure this out. It's like no, 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 just shut up. Just set a config file and just focus on the code, right? Like let's let's just waste stop wasting our time like on these like minuscule like very petty things and like focus on what actually. We're, you know, what our job is meant to do, like code front end. So, yeah. I feel like when we were both at Evernote together, I feel like we yeah. we had arguments as a team of like trying to set those styles between that. And it's just like, oh, this is so frustrating. We don't need to be doing that. It felt really good once we did figure it out and stuff. Yeah. But then it's but it was always, a lot of work to get it, there. It's a lot of work. And then every and time, not everyone's happy. Yeah. That, yeah. That, and every new person that comes on, you have to train them. And it's frustrating. <laughs> All right, so what is a mono repo and how does build tooling help with that of setting up your project? Oh. Jamie's drinking just <laughs> hearing the word. He's like, mono repo. Mono bundle. <laughs> Cheers. So mono repos, they get a bit of a bad rep. Probably not entirely undeservingly, but largely it's just when in a larger organization, so they have to repos into lots of separate small repositories uh, and having to open up pull requests and multiple them if you want to make a change that spans multiple systems. Uh, instead, you have one large repository that generally splits things off by folders or whatever instead of actual like repositories on disk. And um, that way, with one pull request or whatever, uh, you can make a change that spans many different systems. And you can see companies from Google and um, Facebook and many others uh, have adopted these monorepos at like an insane scale mm -hmm. um, to the point that they have like dedicated teams just for scaling the size of their repo. 
Um, and yeah, there's a lot of challenges in that though. Um, most tools are not designed to work in that environment. Uh, if you try and bundle your code, cheers, <laughs> you'll find that when you have thousands and thousands of files, it takes a very long time. Or just running unit tests takes a very long time. Or literally anything. Just you run out of memory and you try to paralyze it and it's, just, it's a mess. Um, so yeah, it, it, it really, if you're gonna adopt that sort of thing at scale, it's the sort of thing you're gonna invest a lot of time into. Uh, but it does pay off. Uh, a lot of large organizations do really enjoy benefits of it. Yeah, I think I like what you said too, of just having dedicated teams to it, because like you almost need a team dedicated to deploying, figuring out when, you know, when something should be pushed, all that kind of aspect. You also probably need someone owning the build tools as a team. Like not every company has that usually. I mean, I've worked at companies where, yeah, we just set up our own build tooling as front end engineers and that's it. But then there's larger companies where you actually have a team dedicated to setting that all up and taking care of that for you, releasing code, and you're just you're just a user of that at that point. Yeah, I think, you know, even at like a company like Atlassian where there's a lot of engineers and even the product teams are quite big, even at that point, like the product teams are still maybe not even big enough to like have a team or a set of people dedicated to work on um, working on these build tools. And like we have we have monorepo on my team, but for it, for that definition of it, it's like a, a React UI component library that publishes to NPM. So like that's the monorepo. It's like many, many, many packages. But we had someone on our team who happened to enjoy doing that kind of stuff and, and wrote some scripts to make it automated but like there wasn't anybody else that knew how to do that or whatever so like and that person then had to go work on a feature so now we have you know nobody so like to have a team dedicated to making sure that that build tooling is awesome is is huge because it can take a lot of time it's it's complicated yeah it's not just a thing that we should take for granted that yeah. it's easy to do yeah and that's what man and i do at, at lousy is we sort of establish this team in order to own this problem space of scaling large repositories um one thing that you'll find is that most when people talk use the word monorepo they tend to mean either something that contains many packages or something that contains many products um so the way that things are at lazian is that we have distinct product teams that move at their own speeds in their own repositories and check in at various intervals and um a whole system um but they they don't operate in a shared monorepo at the company level um so if we wanted to move to that we're going to have to find ways of scaling a lot of the tooling that we have today uh, and that's what our team is both exploring and trying to push what's the what's the hardest barrier for you can i say webpack is that <laughs> hey, no I, I would actually love that we talk about webpack because i think yeah i'm very curious i i don't i don't want to rail on any particular tools um, but one thing that you really face at the scale is that you can't do things all at once you you can't you 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 <laughs> Trying to avoid a certain word right now. <laughs> bundle? This is going to be is a big bundle? drinking section. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. The way that Webpack is designed, and this is to no fault, um, is that it puts everything in memory 
initially and then sorts of figures out what it wants to do at the end. And so when you're operating at a scale where you just can't fit everything in memory, you just blow up, basically. Uh, you get these really funky looking node errors um, that are actually C errors um, telling you that you, you can't put that much stuff in memory at once. Um, and yeah, it's so you you create these systems for splitting that work up. Um, you break it across processes, you create sort of smaller bundles. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. You just, you can't try and do everything at once. Um, it, it won't work. <laughs> uh, so finding good ways of scaling that is a huge challenge and something that I've talked to people at Google and all sorts of companies uh, about their challenges doing that. Uh, and the different approaches that they've had. Webpack is amazing, but then it also has some of the, those issues where it's it's not that simple either. Mm-hmm. Even just for, so you're talking at scale. I even think at like a small project is sometimes it, by the time you get it all fully set up, you're like, wow, that was a lot of work. And do you actually need it at that point? I think we've said this on previous episodes of the podcast is sometimes you don't always need these tools. And sometimes I think that kind of plays in there as well is that, You know, something like Webpack is an amazing tool. You should use it, but not always. It's not something that you always need. Something like Babel is like seriously such an amazing tool. It allows you to write the latest and greatest JavaScript and then allow browsers that maybe aren't caught up to that to to now actually work with it. But say you're just writing for the latest version of Chrome. Well, guess what? You probably can just write latest and greatest so like it's like i think like to me it's it's smart to think about when to use the tooling and i think that's something to always be aware of whether it be at scale or just for your own personal project i think like to your point earlier about um running out of memory like i don't know i don't know that i think about i guess bitbucket's code is fairly big um but we hit that fairly quick like we ran like we running our webpack builds and like hit a memory limit on node and on our build systems and we had to increase it and i was like really i like i didn't feel like it was that big of a thing that it would need that much memory but to your point like what based on the architecture of what it does like okay that makes more sense because i was like we're not that complicated but we like yeah it doesn't take long either to get there yeah, and this is why we've actually been investing a lot of time into Parcel um, because mm. we could spend a lot of time. We have two paths. We could either spend a lot of time venturing down Webpack and finding new ways of splitting things up and sort of normalizing things the way in our organization so that we could sort of share work together. Um, or we can revisit the architecture of the bundler itself. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> that was the worst word to pick. I know. We thought we were so safe with the word. Oh, no. I knew we were in trouble, but I was all for it. Was, <laughs> it's hot today. I, we need it's Pride Weekend, so I've already showed up at this event drunk. So. <laughs> Cheers to that. I'm going to be doing real great tonight. <laughs> So for a while, we actually had a running... Well, back when I lived in Australia and was with uh, our other teammate, Luke, uh, we had a running counter for the number of times that I suggested that we build our own bundler. Cheers. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that tally reached like 40 or so. Uh, so it was, it was a high priority. And the, the maintainer and creator of Parcel, Devin, 
reached out to me about sort of getting feedback on the architecture and whatever. When 1.0 got released, I started getting really really looking into it because it seemed like it had everything that we needed. It, it uh, split work across multiple processes. It didn't load everything into memory at once. Uh, it had a really stable cache that you could reuse across multiple runs. So you could totally stop the process and rerun it and benefit from the last run. Wow. So it would actually catch the cache and be a lot quicker in the next build. Yeah. Wow. I did uh, not know that. Which, so it, it's sort of like when you're running, I almost said Watchify instead of Webpack. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the tooling together. Uh, if you're running Webpack in watch mode and you have that incremental build that goes, um, that, that benefits from having those things in memory already and being able to just quickly just recompute only the stuff that needs to happen. Uh, but if you cancel that process and start over, then it needs to like start from a clean slate. Um, where, uh, and I, I, I think they're actually working a lot on that uh, to their credit. Um, but parcel from day one was designed such that every single file that runs through parcel the input gets cached to its eventual output. And so when you stop the process and start it up again, it already knows tons of the stuff that's happened and it doesn't have to redo it. Uh, so it might not, that starting, stopping and restarting might not be as fast as just having things in memory, uh, but it is quite fast and it scales um, much better. Very cool. What tools should people be using in their builds? Yeah, actually, actually I wanted to call out that, you know, I think we had some good feedback, even like Webpack, for example. Yeah. I feel a lot of people kind of jump into front-end tools before actually understanding why they're really good. Like, I don't think a lot of people actually know that Webpack has like code splitting and some of the cool stuff like that, that I think maybe other, they just heard maybe you should use it. Yeah. That, yeah. Why. They just hear, yeah. they just hear like Webpack's the latest, hottest thing. And you know what? Let's, let's do it. You know? And and it's like all this is like, oh, well, God, it's such a pain to set up. But you know what? It's the latest and greatest. That's what everyone's using and stuff. And I think it really helps to just like really dive in and understand, okay, what's this run-in tool? What does it do? And why do people love it? Like, what are the pros and cons versus all the other things, right? Yeah. So. I think that we're actually still exploring a lot of the benefits of tools that already exist. Yeah. I still see on a, every couple of months something new people are doing with Webpack or Babel all these different tools that is really clever and really sort of changes things uh, and makes you rethink what you like what we want to do in terms of designing tooling um so as much as like the great latest and greatest stuff that we're releasing uh is going to enable stuff there's there's actually a lot that's still left to explore yeah actually it's funny because when you were talking about parcel i was like hmm that sounds really cool i'm surprised i haven't heard that i went to github and i started probably oh you hadn't even heard of parcel or i thought i I thought i haven't heard it but apparently i have because i've started and so it probably was like really old and i was like that looks cool probably one day it'll be good and it sounds like it's really awesome now or maybe it's always been awesome but i've just been oblivious Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, it it advertised itself as a zero config tool. Uh, and when I started talking to Devin about it, uh, the first thing that I suggested was, let's add a config. Because <laughs> that's what I do, okay? Every single file in your repo that starts with a dot, just blame me. It's... 
I'm I'm a cruel cruel god. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I actually sorry to derail things onto onto config files. It's <laughs> part of it. Yeah, that is part of build, so... But I love config files, okay? I, I see you all on Twitter complaining about config files, and you're wrong. You're all wrong. I feel like I want to tweet right now and be like, I hate config files! And you'd be wrong! <laughs> no, it's... I don't know what people expect to be better. Uh, they, I understand the desire to have better defaults. That's That's totally valid. But also doesn't negate the benefit of these same config files. And the benefit that I see of them is that when you have all of this build tooling, they all interop with one another, like, very closely. Back when, I mean, people are, I should say back when, when people are still using these tools. Uh, Karma and, <laughs> and Webpack and stuff. Ancient history, you know? Uh, like... You have these testing processes that run bundlers, that run all, like, Babel and all this different stuff. And all these tools have to work with one another. And it's and when you get into these areas where you have to, like, configure tools on top of tools on top of tools, it it's painful. So this idea of having stable config files, which define what happens in this file system right here, is really powerful for building a better generation of tools that just says, I, I know how this ends up being configured because it, it gets configured this other way. Um, and you get to build on top of each other really nicely with that as a basis. Um, so I think config files get a necessarily bad rep and they actually, they do the opposite of what people think they do is that they make things easier to configure than harder. I mean, I think it's just like when people think of them as hard is because it's it's just an extra step that they have to deal with i don't think it's a bad thing it once you set it up it's you're you're past it you're good yeah i mean i think from coming from like early days on and and seeing the progression of some of these tools like when i first uh, configured grunt to like do a bunch of build processes for you know minifying javascript and concatenating it and and running lints and, and those kinds of things it, it, it resonated. It was very easy for me. I, f- I felt like Grunt was fairly easy to f- configure. Like I really got it right away, and I was like, "Yep, I have this te- this step, and it does this thing." Yeah. Um, and I think some of the Webpack stuff that I came into later on, I didn't set it up myself. It was I came into it from as being like the developer who didn't set it up, and those were like way more confusing because there was like inherited base configs and then there was like the dev and then the other one and there's this like abstraction around it that was a little bit confusing and also just reading it was not very straightforward like the the grunt the grunt thing was like very straightforward whereas this had like some abstractions in it so you had to like really learn webpack before you could like really understand what it was doing and so i kind of under i I definitely have empathy for like the devs are just like all these files are confusing like I get that. Well, it's already set up for you. Yeah. I think that's the. I think that can be difficult too. Is if you had known Webpack and looked at it, you're like, okay, yeah. I still have to figure out what's going on, but I know what Webpack does, yeah. and and that can help. I, I think that you getting thrown into that is probably a difficult way to learn Webpack. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that I was like, oh, this should be no config, because to me, I was like, well, I I want to be able to say that you should 
look at these files and do this thing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. It would have been very magical to be like, well, how do you know what directories to look at? I don't understand. Oh, it's in my config here. It's telling me exactly that. Yeah. So yeah, no, that there is a lot of benefit to that. And as a new engineer looking at it, you can go, oh, okay, I can go to that file and start to really understand yes. what's going on with the build system. Totally. I think there's actually a bit of an art to designing the config files themselves. Um, and I, I say this as someone who develops tools entirely for a living um and that uh there were there are things that we got really right with Babel's config and things that we got wrong um there's things that webpack gets right and things that it gets wrong um even with grunt um there there was a way to configure grunts in such a way that it was impossible to understand yes <laughs> because if you're unfamiliar with grunts the basic model was this instead of like your npm scripts or whatever you had these like top level tasks that configured other tools that got looked up at like build time. Um, and you just passed o- like JSON objects as configuration, except this all happened within a JavaScript file. So you could do whatever the hell you wanted. <laughs> and so this led to people doing wild things. <laughs> I- I'm pretty sure I'm guilty for doing some of those wild things. Cause I'm like, well, why not? It's just in JavaScript here. And yeah, you can't code for, a significant amount of time and not be guilty of some of the worst <laughs> crimes against that's, that's fair <laughs> so mood um <laughs> yeah and as as a consumer of a, as like someone who when, when you were given a grunt file it was now up to you to design this config file in a way that other people could understand it's like any other piece of code except no one understands this code <laughs> And so you either did it in a way that was very declarative and people understood, or you did this like very super generated way that like reduced repetition or whatever, um, and actually made it very difficult to understand. So I've actually, I'm very against uh, having config files that are JavaScript or any dynamic language driven. Uh, I like very static config files because you, you can't, you might have to type a lot, but you won't screw it up. Um, and people will be able to refer to docs and understand it. That's actually very fair. You're separating the concerns there. It does what it's supposed to do, and you're not muddying it up with other JavaScript in there. Because mm-hmm. even Gulp, Gulp, I think even was, in some ways, I liked a little bit better because I was like, oh, well, it's just JavaScript. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a JSON um, object that I'm manipulating. It's It's actually just JavaScript. But at the same time, that can get even more complicated because you just can do whatever you want in that config file. And it, 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 I've seen some pretty scary, messy gulp files because of that. Yeah. And I think that people end up designing these tools poorly as a result because I think that Webpack would actually benefit a lot from trying to design its entire configuration format in just JSON. Uh, if they were forced to look at this problem as... I'm only going to use JSON for this. I'm only going to use these like five primitive or whatever JSON has types um, to define everything that we could possibly do. How are we going to do that? It's not an easy problem. It's spent like I've spent, we're designing parcel two right now, uh, which introduces a config file. And we've spent months now looking at this config file uh, as the basis of how you do everything. And it's, I, that's why I think it's an art. I think it's it takes time and patience and, and careful planning around uh, making something that's going to work long term and it's going to be easy to understand 
and easy to parse and easy to hand off to other teammates that might span gears. Uh, never, never overlap in any way. Um, that's that's what happens. I'm gonna come in with a question on like uh, configs not being JS. I think with Webpack, one of my experiences with using JS was a lot of like, oh well, if I'm in a dev environment, then I'm gonna use this plugin, and I'm gonna add like this config. So a lot of it was different between environments, um, and like even like splitting it at that it was a much more pleasant experience doing it that way than like splitting it out into different files. Mm-hmm. So is that just something like maybe it's a sign that it's bad that the different files are so the different files for different environments are so different or you just have to deal with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Just deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Maya has seen our web configure. <laughs> so she knows I'm a damn hypocrite. <laughs> Uh, and and can say nothing on this, um, but yeah, it's I don't know I I have not found the correct way to configure Webpack that works forever. Um, sorry, listeners, I, if that was what you were like really hoping for, <laughs> we're all trying. We're trying so hard. <laughs> I think I think Sean Larkin might be the only one that's figured it out. So. <laughs> Everyone needs to have Sean Larkin come set up their webpack, and and we're we're good. Yeah, <laughs> that's scalable, right? Yeah. Poor Sean Larkin. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that leads into a really good question, though: is what advice would you give someone setting up a new project, whether it be thinking? I mean, sometimes you don't really know what the scale is going to be. So if you're starting a new project, new app, what do you start with? What are some of the things that you need in your next build? I guess depending on your, what are you building it for? So are you yeah. just like building something to learn from and play around with, at that point, maybe don't even care about build tools. Like maybe use code sandbox or glitch or something that like abstracts away that stuff from you. So actually you're just like focusing on making the thing and not worrying about that. But if it's like, yeah, like your business model or you're creating a product and you're trying to make money off of something and you want it to live on and you want to have more than one person understand how it works and like, there's more than one person working on it, then yeah, I think that like that point you gotta care about that. Um, but there's stuff that like create like they there's things that create good defaults. So you can try those. Like create React app has like some mm-hmm. good like defaults that get you going if you don't want to like start from scratch scratch. But that's also problematic. Maybe that doesn't work for you. So I think you, there's like right. Well, because then, then it's very prescriptive at that <laughs> yeah. point. And you're like, wait, I don't want this, but it's a great start. I yeah. like that. I actually gave a talk about this at the conference of the shirt. I'm wearing. What is that <laughs> conference for? Uh, FF Conf. Oh uh, uh, yeah, where was that? In the UK. I can't remember the name of the city. Brighton. Brighton. There yeah, you go. that's it. <laughs> uh, the one with the the beaches that are just rocks, which is the most <laughs> British thing I think. <laughs> Like, we've got a beach, but it's covered in rocks. <laughs> and it's always raining. So I had a friend who was just getting into programming and really wanted to build an app. And the advice that was given was like, okay, learn HTML, then learn CSS, and then incrementally. Sort of like re-following the path that I had, like, Jesus, nearly 10 years ago. Um and, and like slowly working your way as these tools were invented almost. Um, but instead of that, because they were feeling really lost and like really far away from building an app that I was just like, how about we just install create react app 
and just start building components. And so we did that. And they were immediately productive. <laughs> they just like started building their app. Uh, they didn't understand HTML that well. They didn't understand CSS. They didn't understand JavaScript or like even like all these like weird things that we had done with JavaScript, like JSX and all these different tools and stuff. Uh, but having that entire environment already there, just like now I get to focus on my goal immediately. And when I want to actually learn about these things, I get to dive into how my app works. Um, and I think that's actually a really powerful way to learn how to program. Um, as much as it is tempting to just like, I'm going to configure all my tools myself because <laughs> I know how to do it best. I don't know. It's, it's quite nice just having a solid basis. Um, and I, I think I, I've, I'm trying to take that same experience and bring it to parcel. But yeah. There are some people who can totally like be productive without knowing a bunch of stuff. I am not one of those people. Like I like if I don't know how something is working, then I just I just lose my mind. Like it's like how is this like magic happening? Yeah, like that that <laughs> drives me nuts. And I think like a lot of engineers like can can speak to that. Like if you don't understand how something works, sometimes it just really like you just like get so it makes you more confused, right? Um, it makes debugging harder. So like. I think for people who want to start a project, like it's tempting to use a lot of these scaffolding tools like Yeoman, Create React App and stuff like that. And depending on what you're trying to learn or what you're trying to do, it might get you to A to B faster. But like you really like need to understand like if you want to learn and how to make apps correctly, like you should really start from the fundamentals. I think what you were like suggesting as well, you know. He was suggesting the opposite. I think I was <laughs> say, like, he was suggesting the opposite, but I think I, I kind of see both your points. I, I guess what you were saying was like it makes you immediately productive, yeah. and yeah. which which I I agree with. Like you can totally use these scaffolding apps for that, but it does come at a cost. Um, I say this because um, so Evernote we have a monolithic app, and it would take like engineers like weeks to get set up in the beginning. Then we had this engineer who did this amazing thing. He made this tool that would just install everything. We'd install MySQL, install Tomcat, we'd install everything. Um, and then when something didn't work, we'd have You're to wrong. debug what? everything of mm -hmm. what went wrong, which is fine, which is good. Actually, to be honest, I still support the whole tooling thing there. But you know, like the person who's starting as a new hire, they have no idea like what's going on they don't even know like what <laughs> i think this is actually a quality of good tooling though i mean if we back things up that a, a question that all programmers today i think relate to is like try writing fizzbuzz in assembly <laughs> <laughs> what, what? <laughs> uh, please explain jamie <laughs> i no. <laughs> Public service announcement. I just said don't, don't, don't do don't this. Don't do Fizzbuzz in interviews ever. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a terrible, terrible company. In assembly. But if you want like a really fun challenge for like seven weeks, try writing Fizzbuzz in assembly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bundle. Oh, don't God. listen to me. I'm being Cheers. mean. Okay. <laughs> when you have a good tool, you don't have to think about a problem anymore. You don't have to like the big benefit that Babel had was that people just stop having to think about how do I use these latest features? How do I like, do I write modules that are somehow both? Do I have to like memorize what things work in what browsers or whatever? It's it's like, nah, it's just write this like environment thing that tells what browsers you care about 
and just write it the latest version and you're fine. Babel is one of the most powerful for that is it just allows you to be productive and not worry about those little details. Yeah. And this is the history of tooling for 60 plus years is that like we've we've slowly come up with these new inventions that just let us not think about problems like javascript like (laughs) there's so many problems you don't have to think about just by writing javascript like (laughs) (laughs) pointers Uh, the memory model garbage collection like remembering that things exist and to, to get rid of them the security model, it's all just sandboxed for you. You don't have to think about that. Um, layer by layer, we're just stop thinking about this. It's not important. Like we can, we might make trade offs in the process, but like, like JavaScript with a garbage collection, it's, it's not the fastest thing you can do, but it's fine. It's fine for most things. Uh, and it means that you just get to focus on whatever you want to focus on. Uh, and I think that's that's what defines a really important tool in the long term. Yeah, I think to Augustus's point, like tools like Glitch or something that abstracts away from you a lot of stuff is awesome for learning and gets you so excited about doing something and creating something and like like viscerally like you you see it and you and you get that satisfaction of building a thing, which is like the reason that I got into web development in the first place. I had like the early days was that it was like you quickly created something and you saw it and you saw it change. And you're like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also to Augustus's point, like, I think that's good to like get you excited to get into it. And then of course, like, you know, you, you have to know some deeper pieces of it in order to like maintain it long-term and like, not just be like the fun, quick thing that you like publish to, you know, some, uh, portfolio site or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, for a business drawing, like you have right. to be able to understand how it works at a deeper level. By the way, if people don't know what Glitch is, go to glitch.com. It's yeah, wonderful. It's amazing. Like, go Jen Schiffer, go. Yes. Uh, there's probably other people that work on it too, but... But she's the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, at the end of each episode, we like to share pics of things that we found interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share our pics for today's episode. Anna, have you guys heard of Reddit? No. <laughs> 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 That's a... Explain. What I mostly spend my time on. But uh, I'm sure you find a lot of cool things on Reddit. <laughs> I guess something new. Uh, I've been watching Michelle Wolf's The Break. Yes. Which is good. So, so good. I guess I'll throw that out there. Nice. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, Samantha Bee and uh, John Oliver type show. Yep. Oh, nice. All right, Stacy, what do you have? Um, I can't say Bolt because I actually had that as my pick uh, several shows ago. So I'll say two picks that are unrelated to tooling. Uh, go back to my music music picks. So I have uh, two two music picks: uh, Horizon Poolside Remix by Tycho and Poolside, um, and also Echo Space Island by Robert Babich. Um, those are just I don't know, just two like super carefree summary songs for like going on a road trip to the ocean or something like that. And they're really great. I love that the Tycho one. I guess this what do you have? Yeah, so uh, so actually, I think Ryan made a pick for this thing called Allbirds. It's this shoe that's really popular, and uh, I, my pick is the Tree Runners. I actually got a pair recently, and I, I'm actually pretty impressed. Like, um, like I at first, when I wore them, like, um, you know, they're not that different. I mean, they feel a little cooler, but then, like, today I was walking, and, like, I felt the breeze, like, through my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Right, because like, the other ones are like just fabric, right? right? So right, yeah, yeah, and like the, the their tagline's windy and breezy. I'm like, no, oh, that's bullshit. Like I don't feel it at all. But today I felt it. I was like, oh god. So um, so, and yeah, they're comfortable. So I I would recommend them. You know, give awesome. them a try. Yeah, and then my second pick is uh, this tool called Figma. Um, Sketch is a very popular design tool a lot of people use. I think at Evernote, um, we use Sketch pretty heavily, but um, we're also looking into this thing called Figma. Um, it's another design tool that lets you prototype really fast. And they have a, like a really intuitive plugin system, just like Sketch. Uh, I was looking into building Sketch plugins, and Figma also has like ways of like converting your Sketch prototypes into React components. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Sketch also has something too, but I thought this was something worth looking into. Very cool. Jamie, what do you have? For my first pick, I want to recommend dogs. Dogs, they're great. I don't disagree. I, I adopted a puppy recently, best life choice, and also most exhausting life choice. <laughs> dogs, get them. You know, I love dogs. <laughs> they're great. Second is all you straight people need to watch Queer Eye because I just had Sense8 canceled on me and... Jamie, I'm not going to look at the Netflix employee in the room right now. <laughs> sorry looking at me. Because, you know, not happy. And if you've looked at the finale of Sensei, you can just know that, like, the next five years, if it wasn't canceled, would have been the greatest queer television ever to exist. And goddamn you, Netflix. So I can't lose Queer Eye. So all you straight people need to watch it so that there's enough of an audience so that it doesn't get canceled and ruin my life. God damn you. Also dogs. Oh, dogs. All right. And I'll lead in. Actually, I have a Netflix pick as well. There's a show on Netflix right now called Wild Wild Country. It is bizarre. So crazy. Uh, I don't want to use the word crazy. Fascinating. Fascinating. There's a lot of stuff going on in that. I don't even want to, Should we say more? I mean, you can kind of describe it. Just. Uh, it's a documentary. Yeah, it is a documentary on what in the early 80s yeah it's like based off of this whole cult and religion that formed from a a guy from india and they they came over to actually just near portland and kind of had built in oregon had built their own city and there's just some interesting things that happen in general I highly recommend watching it. It's just like, I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then like, it would go on this whole other like spin of things. And I'm like, whoa, what just happened? So definitely recommend it. And it's a documentary. So it's not even just some story. It actually happened. Yeah. So you can watch that after Queer Eye. (laughs) (laughs) And then actually my second pick was a, I was trying to think what my second pick was. And I, because Stacey inspired me with music, I found new Rise Against song called House on Fire. I really like it. So I highly recommend checking that one out. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Jamie and Maya for joining us. It was a pleasure having you both on. Where can people get in touch with you? On the internet. <laughs> Jamie, where can they find you on the internet? <laughs> no, uh, twitter.com slash Jamie Builds. I'm also on Twitter. I've mostly been a lurker, so you won't find much there. And I'm trying to speak up more. Didn't do all that well this podcast. But, uh, my, my handle is Padmea, uh, P-A-D-M-A-I-A. 
It's pronounced Maya. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. And follow us on Twitter at FrontEndHH. Any last words? Queer Eye! <laughs> Happy Pride! Happy Pride! Happy Pride! Happy Pride. <laughs> <laughs>